1: I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists. And for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, it is UFC 281 Fight Week. The UFC is going to be out there at Madison Square Garden, the actual granddaddy of them all. Yeah. In New York, New York. A double championship bill, as is customary these days for UFC pay-per-views. Israel Adesanya going to put the middleweight title on the line against Alex Piera. And a women's strawweight championship fight as well. Carla Esparza against Zhang Wai Li. Pretty solid main pay-per-view card, really, all the way around. So we're going to spend most of today's episode of The Proper talking about that, getting into some preview stuff breaking down what may or may not happen next Saturday at UFC 281. First of all, though, we had this somewhat low profile UFC fight night event on Saturday night. Uh, Amanda Lemos emerges with an upset victory of Marina Rodriguez in the third round via TKO. We didn't get a ton of traffic. Regarding this event, didn't get it much listener mail about it. I don't know how much uh, it was on people's radar, really, but we figured we'd spend a couple minutes here at the top of the show, at least talking about the main event, especially since Carla Esparza is putting the strawweight title on the line on Saturday. And this fight between Lemos and Rodriguez was at least billed as a potential title eliminator. Now, it remains to be seen, was it a title eliminator only for Marina Rodriguez, who was the favorite here and came in with a, a modest win streak? Uh, or was it a championship uh, possibility for both these ladies as uh, Amanda Labo pulls pulls the upset here by third round TKO? Uh, we, we, I guess on Friday during the power hour, we talked a little bit about how five or six women have had this division on lockdown at the championship level for you know, a handful of years here. So I guess my question for you to open up this show is, do you think Amanda Lemos did enough on Saturday to break into the elite of this weight class and actually get a shot at whoever it is that emerges from the
0: title at UFC 281? You know, if this sport worked like a normal sport, I would be inclined to say yes. Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, the, the way other sports work, if you win in the quarterfinals, you go to the semis. And if you win in the semis, Chad, You go to the finals. Yeah. It's not always such a clear through line in combat sports, however. And a lot might have to do with availability, opportunity, and timing. Because this is definitely a good win for Amanda Lambert. Again, better to win these fights than to lose them. Kind of without exception across the board. Uh, The stoppage was questionable enough that people can seize on that if they want to. Also, it's not as if she has a huge fan base that is going to be banging down the gates demanding to know when you are going to give Amanda Lemos the title shot she has earned. So, a lot of it might come down to which way the title fight goes, who's the champion when the dust clears, what's their schedule like, when does the UFC want to get something on the books again, And who's the person who can most easily put their hand up and say, yeah, I'll do it because I don't know if we came out of this one being like, okay, this is what has to happen next in the division. This is a thing that could happen next in the division. Unless somebody else comes up with a better idea and then all bets are off.
1: I got to be honest. This one surprised me. I kind of thought Marina Rodriguez would uh, essentially break down um, Amanda Lemos over the course of five rounds. I thought that she would have a, you know, a bit of a snowball kind of offense here where she might start slow. And indeed, the first round of this thing was an extended feeling out process. But I thought like the snowball would start rolling down the hill for Marina Rodriguez as we got into the to the later rounds. That didn't happen. And maybe it was because we didn't get too far into the later rounds before Amanda Lemos cracked her uh, with a right hand that stunned her and then followed up with a flurry of punches that uh that forced referee Jason Herzog to step in and stop this thing. Now we can talk about the stoppage in a second because it was hard to tell because they cut away from the stoppage as it was happening on the TV broadcast, but it did appear that Marina Rodriguez passed the what the fuck test when Herzog stepped in and Herzog is not a guy that we criticize a lot for his stoppages. I think we could talk about this one and maybe we do that in a second, but I guess just to start off, uh, were you surprised by the outcome here? And I guess in the same vein of like, is Amanda Lemos going to end up fighting for the title? I mean, if you want to see somebody who throws them danks, if that's what you want, uh, she's got that, man. She she throws those bungalows. And if it uh, if things play out how a lot of people expect them to this weekend and Zhang Wiley emerges maybe with the title from Carla Esparza and you, wanna, you just want a good old-fashioned Pier 6 brawl over the women's 115-pound title, there are options I like a lot worse, let's say, than Amanda Lemos versus Zhang Wiley.
0: Yeah, no, you raise a good point. Throwing them things, historically, a pretty good way to get on the UFC's radar when it comes time to choose title contenders. They tend to like that. And yeah. the fans tend to like that. So, got that going for a little bit. I was surprised with the outcome, though. Because... I thought, you know, Marina Rodriguez, good fighter on a good streak. I thought a lot of it seemed like the UFC was setting her up here to win this one and punch her ticket. Like, okay, here we have two people who could credibly be uh, called potential next contenders. Let's put them in there together. But we kind of think one of them's going to win. And that is just not how it happened at all. As for the stoppage, are you ready to talk about the stoppage? I don't want to force you into it if you're not.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, like I said, it, it seemed like Marina Rodriguez, Marina Rodriguez, I guess we're saying, uh, passed the what the fuck test, from what I could tell. She definitely got stunned, as they said on the broadcast, Amanda Lemos put her on pause, uh, but it seemed like maybe she had unpaused by the time uh, Jason Herzog stepped stepped in there. She didn't go down, she didn't lose her feet, she covered up, she was at least trying to protect herself uh, I always say if you're going to complain about the stoppage, maybe don't get punched right in your face a bunch of times. But They'll take
0: some unanswered shots. Yeah,
1: this one looked uh, just like a little a little fast, just a just a little, a little fast.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hate just generally criticizing stoppages too much because, as we right. have pointed out, the referees have an impossible job in this sport. We'll get mad at you if you let somebody take too much punishment. We'll get mad at you if you get in there and you stop them from being a warrior. Goes out yeah. of their shield, Chad. But we
1: almost never criticize Jason Herzog, so let's do it right. here. Let's give him a little. Let's let's I mean, poke him with a with a stick here a little bit. Jason Herzog we, is a guy who normally does a very good job. So yeah. now,
0: now his he, name he's, is he's not in the streets of very often as a as an <laughs> MMA referee, let's which put means his name in the streets. It, that means you're doing a good job. If we don't talk about you very much as a referee, it means you're doing a good job. The question I had to ask when I watched this one was if this is two let's say male 145 pounders do you think that he, that he stops it right here or was this yeah, a women's a good MMA question. stoppage yeah that's or a sometimes good referees are quicker to pull that that trigger uh when it's two women fighting and I think it's unfair and it just seemed like I I get I it's the kind of stoppage anybody can be mad about on on either direction because if you you don't want to be like, okay, look, just because she was able to stand up still means you got to let her keep fighting. Because she was taking the shots and she was yeah. not answering back really with much. And they were clean shots that were landing there. But some of it seemed like like I couldn't tell if she was just not responding with a visible urgency. And that's what it was that Jason Herzog saw and went like, okay, She's done. She she doesn't know what's going on. And I better get in there and save her before it gets much worse. Because sometimes we've seen fighters who are just a little more comfortable in the firefight. And even when they're getting cracked, they're not panicking. And that's something that they've drilled into themselves, something that they consider a, a strength, but that it can look to a referee like not panicking is actually not responding. Yeah. And then you need to get in there and save them. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'm generally a big supporter of brains. Uh, I'm a big time brain fan. Pretty big brain brain guy all the way around. So normally I would like to have an early stoppage, then a late one. Uh, I just kind of thought maybe this could have gone another second or two, just to see, just to give Marina Rodriguez the chance to either get overwhelmed or get herself out of trouble. But not a big deal. The other thing I just before we move on, just wanted to say is like, why does it seem like it is against the religion of most of these MMA fighters to to ask for a title shot or call for a title shot? It's like they it's like they physically can't do it. Daniel Cormier phrased this question to Amanda Lemos after it was over. He literally said, "Why not you? Why <laughs> not you up next for the winner of the UFC 281 women's strawweight title fight?" And her response. Hey, I'm already in the country. Why don't they make me the backup for that fight? In case someone misses Wade or gets hurt, I could fill in, which I guess if you're looking for the shortest distance between point A and point B, you got to give Amanda Lemos credit for that one. But that's it. She's playing the short con, Ben, folks. Like, uh, why not just say yes? Yeah, give me the title shot. Look at me. Look what I just did. I've won seven of my last eight. It's my time now. Give me the title shot. It just seems like some of these people... It's just like not even to borrow a phrase that the UFC loves in their DNA yeah. for them to request a title shot.
0: I'm going to I'm going to try to describe it like this and I'm going to end up using this phrase and this logic again pretty shortly once we get into listener mail, but I would argue maybe we have taught these fighters to think this way. Yeah. And by we I don't mean necessarily you and I here on the It podcast, but MMA media fans and especially the way the UFC operates, fighters aren't just going out there and deciding how this sport works. And they're not dumb. They are looking around and they're seeing how it works. They're learning how it works. They're seeing what works for others. And they're going, you know what? Sometimes if I know I'm not a star, if I know, as I said earlier, people aren't grabbing their TVs and shaking them, shouting, when are you going to give Amanda Lemos a title shot? They know that as well as we do. And so they know one way to get in that spot is to be ready and stay ready and be the backup. Also, it's a way sometimes to get paid on retainer without actually having to do anything other than make weight. True. And so if you're just thinking about the practicalities of a life as a fighter, I can understand how somebody would be like, you know what, what's a reasonable thing for me to ask for right now? The title shot's already, the next title fight is booked. There's nothing really that like I can say necessarily right now that couldn't just be wiped away like waves washing across the sand, depending on the outcome. So what I could do, though, is go ahead and give me a little extra money, and if something should happen, I'll be here, I'll be ready, I'll step in, and I'll seize my moment. MMA dreams have been built on less than that. You know, we've seen that work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, just a reminder here. You're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This podcast, this podcast drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and your podcast libraries. Remember if you want to have even more fun with this, if you want to have even more MMA discussion, check us out over on Patreon We got three additional podcasts happening over there every week. You got Wednesday's doing the damn thing. You got Thursday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday's live chat, Thursday doing the damn thing. Friday, the power hour. So much content, I can't even keep it straight. Oh, and by the way, we've also got the ad-free version of this show that goes up there every Monday. So if you don't like hearing the ads, roll over to patreon.com slash co-main event and join the team over there. We got four now, four handy tiers of patronage that you can join at it's a there's a plan for every budget run on over to patreon.com and join the team ben i also couldn't help but notice outside today that winter is upon us yep especially here in montana the northern part of the united states if you need yourself some warm weather clothing you could head over to the new co-main event shop and get yourself a cme logo beanie Keep that head, that noggin, nice and warm during the winter. I've already come out on this episode and said I'm pro-brain. I'm a big brain guy. Mm-hmm. You want to keep your brain case warm this winter? You want to keep your thought cage from getting too cold? Go over to the new Co Main Event Podcast merchandise shop and check it out. Just go to CoMainEvent.com and click the link at the top of the page that says shop that, that'll get you over there to check out all the shirts, the tote bags, the mugs, the hats. You can get, get a little something of everything.
0: Get you a Dundasso sweatshirt. I mean, I got me a Dundasso sweatshirt, Chad. Put it on when I went out there in the cold recently. And you know how I felt? I felt Toasty stylish. Work. Yeah. But I also felt snug as a bug. In a motherfucking rug, my man. That's, a,
1: that's how it'll do it. Go over yep. there, co eventcom Hit us up at the shop and buy some co event podcast merch. We're partnering with our friends at Superconductor on the shop and these new designs that we just got up there. Superconductor is a brand and design studio. We've been working with them for a long time. Our guy, Johnny Ashcroft, longtime co co-main-event podcast uh, collaborator. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up. Go to studiosuperconductor.com or find them on the Grams at Studio Superconductor. They do great work. They do good work. So check them out if you've got any design needs. We got music this week from our guy, Dion Rodriguez. He is a uh, music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And again, that's the word beats with a Z. Beatszz. Three rounds, as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast, in round number one, remember when we thought Robert Whittaker was the future of middleweight, and then Israel Adesanya came along and kind of blew that notion out of the water? Well, Gulp, are we at the same place now with Adesanya and this weekend's fight against Alex Piera? And in round number two, as of this recording, Carla Esparza has been UFC strawweight champion for 184 days. I hope she had fun.
0: And in round number three,
1: Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler should be a fun fight in the long list of guys who won't get a title shot for a while now that we're gonna do Islam Mahachev and Alexander Volkanovski. Does that matter? Or are we just here for the bungalows? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, Let's do a little bit of listener mail, listener mail. All right. I'm going to put these two pieces of listener mail together because they are about the same subject. And it is, frankly, the only subject coming out of this fight night event that we got any listener mail about at all. This seemed to be the big ticket thing that everyone wants to talk about. And I think once we get into these questions, you all will understand why. First question this week came to us from our guy Dustin Pettit over on Patreon. He wrote, oh, he wrote, you guys nailed it. That Derek Minner fight from Saturday is under investigation by U.S. integrity after multiple sports books flagged a bunch of unusual betting. Uh, this one, a lot of people came in late here to bet uh, Shalion uh, Nerdenbecka by first round KO or TKO against Derek Minner. And that is, in fact, how things played out. Uh, his coach, James Krause. And then we go down here, this one from Scott who wrote in with the subject line some mma ass shit and he writes
0: <laughs> see that's how you get noticed in our inbox because we're going to be like okay yeah that's that's one of our people That's speak in yeah. our language
1: yep he says, really weird that a fighter coached by James Krause and involving an obviously injured fighter on a three loss skid on his way out of the UFC ended up with some betting shadiness, huh? Who saw that coming? Betters bet Minner to lose by KOTKO round one so hard before the fight. It's now being investigated by a betting integrity firm and is on the main page of ESPN. I know it was a prelim fight on a dead card, but this really was one of the most fixed Slash shady things I've seen in MMA in a long time. Now, uh, the UFC has come out and released a statement. So I wanted to uh, make sure we at least got that on the books before we.
0: Uh, I got the, got the statement here from ESPN. Yeah, you want me to read it?
1: I have. not our goal, as always, is to notify the industry of any potential nefarious, abnormal or suspicious activity as soon as possible. Uh, so they can take action as quickly as possible. I guess this is Matthew Holt. This is different from the one you have.
0: Yeah, he that's says the president the, of U.S. Integrity.
1: Okay, I did. I, did, I wanted to read it because he yeah. used the word nefarious, which I wanted to get out there. <laughs> I got the here, You do the UFC one since you're. The, I can the, tell the you fired statement, up statement, and it. this is
0: from the ESPN story, uh, from David Perdue and Mark Raimondi and over there on the ESPN chalk section, uh, they're, they're, they're betting stuff. Uh, where the statement says, Like many professional sports organizations, UFC works with an independent betting integrity service to monitor wagering activity on our events. Our betting integrity partner, Don Best Sports, a leading global supplier of real-time betting data for North American sporting events, will conduct a thorough review of the facts and report its findings. At this time, we have no reason to believe either of the athletes involved in the bout or anyone associated with their teams behaved in an unethical or irresponsible manner. Now, I want to add... Uh, this next paragraph here, when reached Sunday by text message, Min- Miners' Manager Andrew Lee of Disorderly Conduct Management, pause here for effect. Some MMA-ass shit, you say? How about the management company being called Disorderly Conduct Management, wrote that he was, quote, unaware of anything like this, but did not provide any further clarity on the situation. Now, that's a vague statement to have to try to parse through unaware of anything like this. What do you mean by like this? Because pretty immediately after this fight, and even like right before, when people noticing the big change in the betting line, everybody else was aware of something. That something seemed like it might be up. I mean, the, the betting line changes. Uh, pretty dramatically, that close to the fight, and then a guy goes out there and looks like he is injured and probably was injured well before this fight, kind of immediately, everybody raises an eyebrow. Everybody kind of takes notice. And for the manager to be like, you know... The, the UFC is already talking about there's an investigation in it. Uh, the Everybody is, the machinery is firing up to take a hard look at this one in a way that we almost never do in this sport. And the manager being like, I'm aware, unaware there's any problem. You must be the only one then, bro. <laughs> As everybody else seems aware. And this is, uh, this is exactly the kind of shit that we were talking about, right? Like, this is mm-hmm. the kind of perfect storm of circumstances that uh, you you're going to get yourself in trouble with if you you're not keeping a very close eye on this kind of stuff because you know as this question put it you got a guy coming in he's lost two fights already if he knows he's hurt going into the third one he, he also knows what usually happens if you lose three in a row as not a big name guy in the UFC you're probably going to be out of a job soon so right there, you've got somebody who might have some some reason to want to profit off of it. Or you've got a whole bunch of people around him who might have some reason to want to profit off of it. Because if they've been in the gym with him, they know how it's probably going to go. But maybe he's too hurt to pull out. Maybe he needs the money that he can't pull out. Maybe he needs to go in there, get hurt in the fight so that he can get the insurance to cover it. The, the classic MMA move. There's so many different pieces of the MMA puzzle that combine to get you exactly a situation like this one. And now you got a problem.
1: Yeah. Uh, there are some extenuating circumstances, obviously, as many people know, and we've talked about on all of our shows, James Krause uh, has been running a podcast and I guess they have a discord message board as well. That is pretty much like at least up until recently, he and a partner seemed to be running a thing. And if I get it wrong, my apologies to James Krause, but it seemed like they were, running a thing where basically they were inviting people to give them their money so that they could then turn around and bet invest that money let's say in some can't missed bets and then uh, share the, the profits with with everybody once the the uh, riches started to rain from the sky uh they would they would then send those back to the people who had invested and there was some talk from us and others in this industry, that maybe something like that is what would spawn the UFC to recently make this new rule that fighters can't bet, basically, on uh, mixed martial arts while you're fighting for the UFC. It's a little bit untoward and uncalled for, I think, to assume right off the bat that because of that, some manner of nefarious information came from James Kraus. Like it's unfair right. to, to assume that that's what happened here. And so I don't want to do that. I think we should wait until uh, this investigation such as, such as it is played out, plays out and find out, you know, if we can, what happened here. I don't want to just throw James Kraus under the bus when we don't know anything about the situation here. And there are I plenty of ways say,
0: that that information could have got out.
1: Sure. I will say If you put something about this on your Discord message board, that's about the dumbest thing you could possibly do. So I assume that's not what happened. And uh, we'll wait to find out. I just, uh, it's a little bit early, I'd say, to just start blaming James Krause. Right, but I mean, and I I don't
0: even think blaming James Krause is the thing that we should be focusing on, like trying to pin one guy to be a scapegoat for it. Because this is a very MMA kind of situation. It is some MMA-ass shit. Especially when we're looking at like the the thing the UFC sent out to everybody, where it was just like, hey, not only can you guys not bet on fights your own or anybody else's, um, your teammates can't bet on your fights, people who share a household with you can't bet on your fights, all coaches can't bet on your fights, all that kind of stuff. And we were wondering, how are you really going to enforce that? And also, like, this is exactly the kind of situation you're you're hoping to address is where somebody goes into a fight injured. Knowing that they're injured and knowing that it is going to seriously compromise their chances to win the fight or even make it out of one round in the fight. And this is exactly what you're trying to to guard against is that other people around him, other people who are in the gym, teammates, uh, people who might not even be all that close, but are just, they got eyes and they're in the same building and people talk, you know how MMA fighters love to talk are going to be like, hmm, here's an opportunity to profit off of some insider knowledge that I have. And you're trying to put a stop to that because you, especially as a, a company that's very recently embracing sports betting, as a sports betting partner and all that stuff, you don't want even the possibility, even the appearance that this stuff is not 100% on the level, or that, that somebody knows something. That, you know, other people don't know and it's they're they're using it to profit off of it in the sports betting. Very, like you can't afford even the whiff of that possibility. It's it, it will kill the market for it. And so you're trying to like kinda of get out in front of it, but also how many times have we heard about fighters going into fights injured? And or where we hear afterwards, how they went into fights injured. We just had that TJ Dillashaw thing just a couple weeks ago, man. But right. like, that just happened. Yeah. How do you Expect them to keep that information. Like, what, what is the responsibility that the fighters and their teams have to not only not try to capitalize on that information themselves, but prevent it from getting out? Because there's only so much they can do. And if we're t- saying the thing you have to be doing to, in order to be a responsible person as a UFC fighter is don't put yourself in that situation to begin with. So what? Don't take Fights if you know you're hurt, brother, you're gonna have a whole lot of fights fall out if that's the new rule. The UFC doesn't want that rule any more than anybody else does. It needs guys to keep getting in there, keep the content mill rolling, man. And fighters are often hurt going in there. So many times. I mean, I've I can't tell you how many times I've heard fighters and coaches say, sometimes as a way of kind of psyching themselves up or talking themselves into a bad idea, if you only fought when you were hundred percent, you'd never fight. Yeah. So there's, I mean, granted, there are degrees of that. There's, I'm a little banged up, uh, you know, I got one leg that's not as good as the other leg. And then there's a, I know my shoulder's going to fall out or I know as soon as I throw one kick, I'm going to fall on on the ground. Like those are, there's different levels of it and everything, but still it's like his team and all those guys, they might've had nothing to do with it at all. It might've just been somebody else in the gym sees it or somebody else around them sees it. Uh, they tell somebody and they say, hey, keep it to yourself, but you can profit from this information. And then the next thing you know, like how much betting action does it really take on an undercard fight, on a throwaway fight card like this to swing the betting lines? I don't think it's that much. I think because there's not a ton of action on a fight like this, on a card like this, it might not take that much action to really swing the odds. So like they they might it might just be an unfortunate coincidence that your coach happens to be the guy everybody associates with a dude who's on the inside uh, (laughs) doing a lot of sports gambling.
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's keep the pitchforks in the closet for now. Wait, Do people keep their pitchforks in a closet? No, in the barn
0: shed, in the, the shed, keep
1: the pitchforks in the shed for now until we figure out exactly what's going on here. Not only did we have the T.J. Dillashaw thing happen recently but his defense once he found out people were horrified by it was to say oh no no i've actually done this a lot yeah in fact i've won some championship level fights with a shoulder that won't stay attached to my body so that just tells you right there how often this kind of stuff happens so
0: uh and and i don't know how you fix that because the nature of the sport like those guys are not making enough money to be able to be like you know what I'm I'm not ready. Uh, physically I physically I can't do it. I'll take six months on the shelf of no payday. Like they're not. They're like the UFC is not paying them enough for them for most of them to be able to do that. Especially a lot of guys like this. Like Derek Mitter might have been doing the math, looking at it, being like, okay, I'm already on a two fight losing streak. If I pull out of this one hurt, they're not gonna necessarily love me for it. They might cut me just on that. You know, like if you yeah. get in there and you fight, at least you get some show money.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you just said it all when you said it right there. How do you fix this? Probably by paying everybody more money, frankly, Uh, which I'm sure the UFC is going to do any day now. It's probably on their schedule. You know, start slap fighting league number one. Film fuck it Friday number two. (laughs) Number three, start paying the fighters more. I'm sure that's number
0: three on the list. (laughs) Might be a little further down than that.
1: Yeah. Number three, stay up all night playing blackjack. Then, you know, at some point pay the fighters more. Uh, that's going to do it for listener mail this week, a little bit of an abbreviated listener mail, but uh, that seemed to be the, the topic that was on most people's minds. So there you go. If you have a question, comment or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to that website, co dot com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, the champion is going off as a slight favorite as of this morning over at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Honestly, the way a lot of people have been talking headed into this fight, I halfway expected him to be the underdog, but there is Israel Adesanya sitting at minus 180 and Alex Piera sitting at plus 155. You know, this is one of those fights where I actually have no idea what's going to happen. So if you like Adesanya, maybe this is the best number you've been able to get on him in a while. And if you like Piera, maybe you see a lot of value in that underdog line, man.
0: It's a a choose-your-own-adventure. One thing we do know, UFC 281 is live from New York this Saturday. Get closer to the Octagon with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a parlay today with three or more picks, and combine multiple bets like which fighter will win, total rounds, and more.
1: You know, I actually hit my three-fight parlay
0: oh, last here we weekend
1: go. over on the fight night. I had uh, Jake Hadley. He was a winner. I had Pollyanna Viana; She won. And then you know what I did. You know what I like to do. I sprinkled a little Miranda Maverick on top. And she won, too, so there you go, hit my three-fight parlay.
0: You know, I I made fun of the whole sprinkle a little extreme favorite on top of the parlay, of the existing parlay. I made fun of that approach, and I feel like we're just we're a matter of time from you starting up a newsletter called Sprinkle a Little on Top, <laughs> where you give out your free betting advice.
1: Yeah, man, I just sprinkled a little Miranda, Miranda Maverick on top, and a you know, bigger payout, bigger payout there. Uh, with payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the UFC. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code CoMainEvent. Throw down $5 on UFC 281 and get $200 in free bets if your fighter wins. That's code Event this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See our show notes for details. So... When it comes to Israel Adesanya, Ben, I guess I kind of wanted to start here with this fight against Alex Piera because we've had some diminishing returns, I would say, with Israel Adesanya. Maybe not in terms of the outcome, but in terms of, like, entertainment value, I think you could say. When we uh, went down to Vegas to watch him fight Jared Cannonier recently, you could argue the most entertaining part of the fight was the Undertaker-inspired entrance. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Of it was. It was. A lot a, of a, a lot excitement prior to the bell.
1: And, uh, previous to that, you know, he had had the rematch with Robert Whitaker. He had had the fight, uh, with Marvin Vittori. Uh, you know, he went up to try to fight Jan Blahovic He had Paulo Costa. He had that stinker against Yoel Romero. A lot of people have been saying, the version of Israel Adesanya that we expect and the version of Israel Adesanya who actually shows up in the cage has gotten has more and more removed from each other as time goes by. So I guess my question to open up uh, this discussion is, does that change this Saturday? Is Alex Piera, given their history and given the nature of this rivalry, is he the guy who almost out of necessity will drag a more exciting, more offensive fight out of Israel Adesanya? Or do we see the opposite? Do we see Israel Adesanya even more? in a defensive shell on Saturday night.
0: Well I think that's the promise of this particular matchup, right? Is because not only do they have this personal history where Israel Adesanya has a reason to be like he wants to to prove something here. But also Alex Pierre is the kind of guy where it doesn't seem like you're just gonna be able to hang back and pick him apart and cruise to a decision victory without ever having to put yourself at risk. Like it just that does not seem like it's going to be an option. For Israel you here, the way it was an option against guys like Cannoneer, where it seems like he is far enough ahead of some of these guys, and he has the, also a, the the size and the reach on them to, be, to where they can't get themselves into a comfortable range to fight him at without taking a whole lot of risks that they're unsure they want to take. And so he ends up being able to control the fight without ever having to really risk anything too huge. Doesn't seem like he's going to be able to do that against Alex Pereira, just physically or in terms of the skills that he brings. The one area where you would think that maybe Israel Adesanya would have an advantage is that we're in MMA now and we're not in kickboxing. And Israel Adesanya has uh, turned out to be really good in MMA, but not in the sense where you're going to go out there and hit a blast double on this guy. Right. Like, he doesn't necessarily have that kind of game. So what are you going to do with him? Are you just going to end up in a kickboxing match with small gloves? And if you do, is that a nightmare scenario for Israel Adesanya?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's certainly been his game thus far, right, in the UFC, because he has had the kickboxing advantage over everyone else that he has fought. And so it has been a very good strategy for Israel Adesanya to use takedown defense, which at this point has gotten quite good. Uh, to force the fight into the place where he feels like he is the strongest. And then he uses uh, a handful of his favorite kickboxing approaches kind of over and over again to to beat guys up and and get the win. He hasn't, by any stretch, done the George St. Pierre and turned himself into a dominant offensive wrestler uh, when he comes from primarily a striking background. And that makes this kind of an interesting fight against Alex Piera, because I don't know exactly what... Israel Adesanya's game plan or options will be. Alex Pierre has beat him twice in kickboxing, beat him in 2016, beat him in 2017. And now he has come in here to try to beat him in the UFC. Is this the only one that counts? Israel Adesanya has talked already about how this is bigger than the title for me, he has said. I just want to beat Alex Pierre to prove that I can, that I'm the better MMA fighter. And the title is secondary to all of that. So you can tell that he is personally taking this very seriously. If he wins this one, those yeah, Alex Piera maybe can go to the bar afterwards and be like, "Well, I'm still two and one against this guy. I beat him twice in kickboxing, but for our purposes, this is this is the one that matters, right?
0: They all matter. They all count. They all go on an official record of some kind. But yeah, this. I mean, the next one is always going to be the biggest one. And the one with the big shiny gold belt on the line to remind you who won is the that that's that's going to be pretty damn important. Uh, and I also think that it's sort of a like a fork in the road for both guys because with Alex Pereira, we're looking at him, we're being like, okay, you're a big scary dude who came from the world of kickboxing, and if you can go out here while still you know fairly early on in your MMA career and beat Israel Adesanya, who we've already developed. Like We've gone through the full range of champion emotions already with Israel Asanya, where we were really excited about him to where we felt like, uh, you know, maybe he was starting to get boring because he's too comfortable and nobody can challenge him enough to like now we're dying to see somebody really go in there and make him do something or beat him. And if you can go in here at this point in your career, beat that guy, take the title off of him, then you could become a star real quick. Yeah, Israel Adesanya, on the other hand, it's like if somebody were to go into a lab and come up with somebody to, to have a good chance of beating Israel Adesanya at middleweight right now, don't you think it would look a lot like Alex Pereira? Like you, We've seen bigger guys like Jan Blachowicz uh, in a higher weight class be able to have success taking him down, holding him, wearing on him and also just sort of pressure him on the feet. But we've never seen other middleweights really be, have find much success that way. So it seems like the, the way to do it is to be somebody who is not going to struggle with the range quite as much and also has an excellent, dangerous kickboxing game. That's Alex Pierre right there. So if, if Isra Sanya can beat him, then it's sort of, you know, with what now would you hope to frighten the champ? Right, And he he enters like a whole new realm of his champion star status. If he doesn't, then you enter a whole different timeline for his Adesanya.
1: Yeah, uh, Alex Pierre obviously is 35 years old. He's got an extensive professional kickboxing record behind him, 33 wins with seven losses, so that's pretty darn good. But he's only got seven professional MMA fights, including three wins in a row in the UFC. You know how you were talking earlier about how the UFC will give us sometimes these contender fights where they're like, here's a good fight, but also we kind of know who's going to win. Yeah. That's the impression we got when we all showed up at UFC 276 and watched Alex Pierra, uh fight Sean Strickland, mm-hmm. right? Sort of like, okay, you guys knew how this was going to go down with the two minute and 36 second KO win for Alex Piera. And I would say that along with the still photograph of him standing next to Dominic Reyes in training are probably the two most impressive things we've seen from Alex Piera in his his UFC career. Uh, Looking large and in charge, frankly, standing next to pretty big, light heavyweight Dominic Reyes. Uh, But is that going to be enough, really? Is that going to be enough to beat the style bender Israel Adesanya on Saturday?
0: I mean, I guess my question is going to be How, in in what ways will this be different from their kickboxing fights? What's going to be the difference? Is it that you all the other stuff in MMA that you have to worry about that you don't have to worry about in kickboxing? Because I don't know if we've seen Israel Adesanya show that he can really threaten with a lot of that stuff. I, I mean, maybe I'll be proven wrong. Maybe he'll go out there, hit a foot sweep, some shit like that, you know, uh, Maybe he'll he'll catch a, a high crotch, lift him up o- over his head, Daniel Cormier style, and spike him on his head, and then it becomes a whole new fight. I don't know, but if you have to just go out there and kickbox the guy, then I don't know if that really works to Israel Adesanya's favor here. Like I, it it'd be a tough one to like. I'd be very curious to know what they're saying as far as game plan what do yeah. we want to do and what do we absolutely not want to do against this yeah. guy
1: well one thing we have seen in the past is that eugene Berryman and the city kickboxing guys generally have good game plans yep they're, so they're pretty good we'll have to see how that goes now uh maybe you take a page out of the francis and playbook and you blow your knee out before this fight give away a couple of early rounds and then as eric nixick has said you flip the fuck it switch and you go out there and you just wrestle your way to an improbable victory.
0: So what you're saying is the first step to success is to blow your knee out.
1: Yeah, blow it out in training. And then you turn yourself into a wrestler.
0: Well, if you do blow it out in training, be careful who you tell and what they do with that knowledge on the betting front.
1: <laughs> I think I'm keeping my money in my pocket for this fight, man. Like I said at the top of the round, like I don't. this is one of those ones where I just have no fucking clue what will happen in this.
0: Well, you know we're going to do twenty dollars and everyone to see again by Friday, so you better come up with an idea.
1: I got a, I got a week, I got a week to figure okay. out what's happening here. All right, let's do. Are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to round number two. Uh, ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me this week?
0: Well, you see this video that uh, in Gary or maybe his wife posted about after about being kicked in the head by Leon Edwards and it causing some tooth pain, which, you know what? Yeah. I can see how Leon Edwards kicking you in the head could cause, among other problems, some tooth pain. Uh, But went to the dentist and everything, and it seemed like he was not in a hurry to actually tell this story. And and she had to kind of drag it out of him because the dentist had apparently asked him what he does for a living. He didn't exactly want to say I'm a (laughs) professional fighter, all that kind of stuff. Um, And then finally, he says, there's no avoiding telling the truth. It just doesn't need to be told sometimes. I may, anyone watch the Leon Edwards-Usman fight? Anyone know how that went? One of the best head kicks in the UFC. Yeah, I might have felt what that kick felt like on Wednesday morning. So yeah, Leon, I'm blaming you for my tooth fucking pain. Hmm. Are you fucking kidding me that not only is this the life of a fighter that you have to go out there and practice and get kicked in the head by Leon Edwards having to fuck your tooth all up, but Chad, he got to go get kicked by Leon Edwards for free. Yeah, they didn't even get paid for it the way Kamar Usman did. Are you fucking kidding me? You're that's fucking just kidding me. That's the point. See, you ask somebody like you want to be a fucking fighter and go through that whole speech on, you know, I've been watching shit like this, like, okay, do you want to get your tooth all messed up by getting kicked in the head uh, by the UFC welterweight champion for free? Do you? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You're I don't know if you key. do
1: Man, we all been there at the dentist in the MMA bubble when the dentist is like, What do you do for a living? And you're like, Oh, I'm a sports writer. Right? Imagine. Like, we'll I know what been it been feels there. like to be at the dentist and be like, I don't need
0: to explain all this yeah, shit. And this plus, yeah, and plus, yeah, like, yeah, you're going to ask me a question, then stick your whole hand in my mouth. I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer you. But imagine being in the dentist trying to avoid telling them this. Uh, you've got a giant brew shaped like Leon Edwards' shin. Right across the outside of your cheek, and you're like, I crunched on some popcorn kernels, and I just heard a pop. I don't know, man. Yeah. I was eating a candied apple. That's what it was. No, they're not buying that. (laughs) Fucking kidding me. you fucking kidding me. Ben, we talked
1: about this on Friday, but I think it bears repeating here. Uh, When I first saw Conor McGregor's Halloween costume. Mm Mm-hmm. Where he's standing there with uh, Dee Devlin and she's dressed as a flight attendant and he is dressed as the captain. I thought to myself, oh, that's cute. And like a surprisingly conservative Halloween costume for Conor McGregor. I would have expected something a little bit more uh, offensive, frankly, from Conor (laughs) McGregor. I was like, good. You know, Conor kept it under wraps, dressed as a pilot. That's nice. Then I saw the zoomed out photo. The uncropped version, let's say where Conor McGregor's mom is wearing full blackface in her Halloween costume. And let's make no mistake over what it was. It was full blackface in her Halloween costume. You can release all the statements that you want from your family spokesperson. You can get some people in the MMA media to write their stories about how if you zoom in, there's a pattern there on the face. It could be spiders, it's there's no spiders. Conor McGregor's mom went with the full black face Halloween costume. Are you fucking kidding me? Just, kidding that's me? A, it's like I'm sad. I'm worn out. I'm not surprised. Are you fucking kidding me?
0: You, you can't see a spider? Maybe if you squint, you see the spiders then? Take off no your spiders glasses thing. and squint.
1: What did the statement say? Her, her costume was a ghoul returning from the dead. ghoul risen from the grave I believe that's not what that's not what the costume was you fucking kidding me fucking kidding me that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two
0: Chad, Carla Esparza heads in to defend her UFC women's strawweight title against former champion Zhang Wai Li. And let's just say that I don't feel like a whole lot of fans are too worried about Carl- how Carla Esparza is going to get the title home and her carry-on on Sunday morning. I don't feel like that is the primary concern here for the champion. Can you recall last time we had ourselves a fight like this where everybody's sort of treating it as, okay, well, you had fun. You had your time with the belt. <laughs> time to give it back now. <laughs> are we, are we, like selling she checked Carlos? it out from the library? Yeah. Uh, like, okay, we let you hang on to it. We hope you got some good pictures for the gram. Those are going to be good memories. Um, but playtime's over. Yeah. Are well, we selling Carlos Bars a short here?
1: She's plus 290 if that tells you anything. Incumbent reigning champion comes into a title defense plus 290. Doesn't happen every day. I'm sure that it's happened before in the UFC. We've had some some situations where there were upsets and then uh you know whoever it was who had lost the title came storming back to win it again. And it did feel sort of like uh and I'm just extrapolating and imagining things at this point, but almost like the UFC rubbing its hands together, like rubbing its hands together gif guy uh, when Carla Esparza won the title because they did not waste much time figuring out that uh, Zhang Wiley was up next, right, that she got next, like we're going to engineer another opportunity for Zhang Wiley to get that title back, and it seems like that's what we've done here with Carla Esparza headed into UFC 281 out there at MSG. Uh, and frankly I've never wanted to see Carlos Barza win a fight worse like I you know I've never I've never been such a big Carlos sparza fan as I am today I, I I'm going for chaos I want nothing more than to see her go out there heavy metal entrance music couple of couple of takedowns and let's let's take this thing home
0: have her stand against the fence during the intros like she's waiting for a bus mm-hmm and, and I want her
1: to walk over to the cage like Anderson Silva and wave Zhang Wiley in, like, come on, let's do it. Let's go over here.
0: Okay. Do you want that because you're just such a goddamn contrarian? Yeah. Is that the only reason? Yeah. Because are you going to tell me that you have enjoyed Carlos Barza's fights? <laughs> her fight um, against Rose Namajunas, the second one where she won the title. And granted, it, t- it took two to, to to tango on this one. So the the, the blame goes both directions. Probably the worst title fight I've ever seen in the UFC.
1: It was bad. If I
0: made you sit down and watch it right now, you would be like, Why are you doing this to me? You'd be like, It's a war crime to make somebody sit through that shit. When the UFC posted, like, Free fight, Carlos Barzo versus Rosnamias 2. Everybody was like, Are you, as the Brits would say, Chad, are you having a laugh? Is that what you're doing? Are you just messing with us? Why would you put this up? Yeah, what were they doing? Making that the free fight. You're not doing your champion any favors, no. really, with that.
1: That seems like an odd choice to me.
0: Well, because maybe they're like, if you're looking around and you're going like, okay. The the ones where the, that are the high profile Carlos Esparza fights, there's not a ton there that is really working people up. There's not a ton to choose from. The library is not endless, I'll That's f- true, but they, they still chose the worst one. They did. There's no possible <laughs> worst one they could have chosen.
1: Uh, this will be the first time since August 31st, 2019, that Zhang Wai Li has fought someone besides Joanna Yadjacek or Rose Namajunas. So maybe there's a chance, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's every reason to think that she walks out of here the champion. And we're already kind of thinking, what do you do first? Like, you know, we're already asking, like, wh- what are you going to do w- as your first move as champion again? Because it just doesn't seem, like, it's really hard to imagine how Carlos Barza beats her here. And yet, it was hard to imagine for me how Carlos Barza was going to beat uh, Rose Nama Yunus in the rematch, uh, given how good Rose Nama Yunus had gotten. And I guess the answer is, well, if nobody does anything, then it's kind of anybody's fight. I mean, as as I recall,
1: we were running a DraftKings promo that week, too. And DraftKings was doing the thing where they were like, all you have to do is pick one winner and you get a bunch of money. And I feel like we were both like, well, Rose Namba Yunus is the pick here. Mm -hmm. She's the one who will almost certainly win this weekend. What with Carla Sparza standing across the cage from her. So maybe we're just selling her short. Maybe we're doing the same thing now that we did in the last fight.
0: Even, I mean, that's a risk I'm willing to take, I guess, you know, (laughs) because it just seems like skill wise and just pure ability and speed and power and all that other stuff. Like if you're just coming up with the checklist and putting a mark in in one person's favor or the other, just way too many of them in the challenger's favor here, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: But alright, if that's what we're doing, if that's the game we're playing, let's say Zhang Wiley walks away with the victory this Saturday, what do you do with her? What do you do next? Because you look at your women's strawweight rankings, obviously Carla Esparza is your champion, Rose Namajunas is still the number one contender, uh, Zhang Wiley 0 for 2. Against Thug Rose already. So I don't know if you run that one back for a third time. Number three on the list is Marina Rodriguez. So obviously, this is un- unupdated from Saturday night. Uh, number four, Jessica Andrage, who Zhang Wiley defeated on August 31st, 2019. In fact, that's the most recent person, not named Joanna Jajic or Rose Dama that Zhang Wiley has fought. And from there, you get into the Shao Yan, Mackenzie Dern, Amanda Lemos, Tisha Torres, Amanda Rebos territory. So what do you do here? What do you do if you get your wish and you get your golden girl, Zhang Wai Li, back there with the the strap around her waist?
0: Yeah, that's where I can kind of understand why uh, Amanda Lemos comes out being like, hey, what if I'm the backup? Because it's not like anybody is sitting around going like, that's our dream fight right there. Zhang Wiley versus Amanda Lemos. I mean, it might just be the only decent idea that you can come up with because there is a part of me that really wants to see us break free from this revolving door kind of situation where the same few fighters fight for the belt over and over and over again. So, you know, maybe don't turn right around and try to sell me on another Zhang Wiley-Rosna Miu fight. Like, let's get yeah. somebody, some fresh face in there. Then you can circle back around to some shit like that.
1: Yeah, so maybe you get the call if you're a man That's why I'm saying you get an opportunity on the mic and Daniel Cormier asks you, why not you, he says. Maybe you should say, yeah, Dan, why not me? Why not me indeed? Let's do it. Put me in the championship fight.
0: Why not any of us, really?
1: (laughs) Why not any of us? All right, that's going to do it for round number two here. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, in Dustin Poirier versus Michael Chandler, you've got that age-old equation of two exciting action fighters, both of whom could pretty well use a win at this point. Obviously, Michael Chandler had that Tony Ferguson fight at UFC 274, where he kicked him right in his damn face for the second round knockout. But previous to that, he had lost to Justin Gaethje and Charles Oliveira in a row, Dustin Poirier. Uh, by comparison, lost at UFC 269, got choked out by Charles Oliveira in the lightweight title fight. So if either of these guys is going to really keep those title aspirations in the front of their minds, it would be better here to win than lose, as we always say, obviously. I think we're all going to gather around to watch either Dustin Poirier or Michael Chandler fight when we get the opportunity, regardless of their standing in the lightweight division. But just in terms of that title hunt, which, as I said at the top of the show, now might be uh, like uh, Marina Rodriguez on pause for some time. Uh, It's better to win here since we're going to do the allegedly Islam Mahachev-Alexander Volkanovsky fight. You want to be the guy who has the win under his belt to be in the mix there if you're one of these two dudes
0: yeah definitely you want to at least have that option but as far as how we are selling it to fans and what we need to get excited about this one i say we all should give ourselves a little bit of a break from worrying too much about the stakes of this one this is just one of those fights that you'd make if you got the ufc video game and you're sitting down pairing up people who are in the same division this is uh when your division is an embarrassment of riches, you put two names in a bag, you know, you 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 put all the names in there, you shake it up, you dump two out, you're going to end up with a good matchup. And so here, that's what we got here. It's like, you put these two guys together, how do they not give you a fun fight? And how do they not give you a fun fight that feels like it means something just solely because of what the two dudes themselves mean to us in the MMA world at this point. You know, you don't need anything else than that.
1: Yeah, you got uh, number two against number five here on the lightweight rankings. Looks like Dustin Poirier is the favorite, according to DraftKings, minus 210 right now. Michael Chandler plus 180. Uh, And we all know what Michael Chandler does. He's going to go out there, stomp the accelerator through the floorboards, and uh, come hell or high water, throw them thangs and just see where we end up. And Dustin Poirier, a slightly more measured approach, I think, in terms of how he goes into these fights, but the same kind of heart, heart, the same kind of base philosophy, I think, that let's, you know, let's go out there, get ourselves into a fight and, and see what happens. So this is one you got to be looking forward to, To not that we want to get sued for gimmick infringement by Ariel Helwani, but this might be the people's main event right here.
0: Yeah, this is the kind of fight where, you know what, you want to see a good time. You want to show up here. We've got a couple title fights. We don't need to worry too much about what's on the line other than that two title fights man that's that's good good stakes right there plus in the middle of the card a straight up certified banger yeah that's what you're offering here and that honestly makes it a pretty good overall value proposition because you know how it can be sometimes when there's title fights on the line people play a little safe maybe we get 25 uninspired minutes that that can happen selling me a, a fight card like this that has a little bit of everything where you know You got the old man Frankie Edgar on this, doing it one more time, one last time before he hangs it up. You got a couple title fights and a couple different divisions, old rivals, shit like that. But then also you've got one where it's just two awesome lightweights who are probably not going to fight for the title next, but our capital G guys, both of them, are going to go in there and try to take each other's heads off. Like, yeah, that's that's a, a varied sales pitch that you're making. And I say, you know what? All that together makes for a good pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, you can go ahead and give me the grab bag. We got a, a listener mail question that we didn't get to at the beginning of the show, but it was basically about Dan Hooker, who DraftKings here refers to as Daniel Hooker and nice. has him as minus 155. He's going up against Claudio Puelles, who has just been out here tapping everybody. Uh, no knee is safe when uh, Claudio Puelles is out there. But uh, Daniel Hooker, as the question that we didn't get to in listener mail, alluded to could really use a victory and it's interesting to see him I think going off as the favorite here is he gonna get it is he gonna get this win It'd be good to be nice for all the Daniel Hooker fans out there to see him grab a victory I just this seems like one of those ones where we might be thinking we know who's gonna win to me but I don't know
0: yeah I mean you you do gotta watch your knees uh, against that guy but it also just seems like things haven't been going super great for Dan Hooker, but they've been not going great in a way where you could easily tuck yourself into thinking like, it's just tough circumstances, man. Cause you know, he had that win over Nasrat Hakpras and then turned right around the very next month and fought Islam Mahachev who we now know that boy good.
1: Yeah, he's good. He's decent. That's a decent lightweight right there.
0: That's a tough guy to fight with a full camp and nothing to focus on but him. And he went and he just did it, you know, A month later after his fight, not a great idea. I got submitted in the first round. Then he comes back. He has to fight Arnold Allen, who, Chad, I don't know if I've said this before about Arnold Allen, uh, that boy good. Yeah. And that was kind of a rock'em, sock'em fight where he had some moments. Like, he he had Arnold Allen hurt. Arnold Allen had him hurt. You know, it wasn't like he got completely blown out. We were just throwing them things and seeing who's left standing, and it wasn't Dan Hooker. And so now you come into this one, and it's like, shit, man. You really have to win this one, but that's a lot of pressure to bring into a fight like this against a dude who could fuck around and beat you at any point, really.
1: Yeah, you know, you made a good point with the saying Dan Hooker came back and fought... Islam Mahachev and Arnold Allen in, in pretty short succession there. Uh, he's one and four in his last five, but I would also point out that the back-to-back losses prior to the Nosrat Hakperaz win were cool Dusty P and Michael Chandler. Yeah. So Dan Hooker is out here as Nick Diaz would say. He is in fact fighting them hitters, man. Like it's, yep. it's not, there's not a bad loss on there, you know, at right now in the mo- these, this most recent stretch. So let's not count out Daniel Preston Hooker as he goes out here and and fights for his life against Claudio Puelas. Uh, The other thing I notice here, Frankie Edgar, plus 180 against Chris Gutierrez in what we have been promised will be the old man's retirement fight.
0: Yeah, what are the odds on that, on it actually being the retirement fight?
1: Well, probably longer than plus 180. Is is this one of those, uh, I think we we actually got a question about this too, we didn't get to, where uh, somebody wrote in and basically said, is this the normal MMA retirement where it's really just the first step in a master plan to fighting Jake Paul?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, I I'm inclined to believe that maybe Frank Yeager really means it, or at least really means it for now means yeah. it as much as he can possibly knowingly mean it. Um, And I I still think that there are other matchups that might've been just a little bit more fun and, and, more fitting for a veteran uh, who's done all he has in the sport if we're going to send him out at Madison Square Garden but fine you know like I, I hope that he gets whatever he feels like he needs to get out of this one so that he can feel comfortable walking away yeah I agree
1: all right let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week Ben did you see the big homie Mark Hunt over the weekend yeah yeah. He goes out there in a boxing match against 37-year-old former rugby player, I believe, turned professional boxer, Sonny Bill Williams. That's how you know he's from Australia. Yep. Is it his name is Sonny Bill Williams. He had been undefeated in boxing nine wins in a row. Then he goes out there to fight Mark Hunt, and it does not go great because Mark Hunt still hits really, really hard. He yep. might be 48 years old. He might have been drummed out of the UFC on the heels of three straight losses and some bad feelings. But you know what? He still hits really hard. And so this week, I'm just saying, number one, if you haven't, go track down the video. Get, treat yourself just yeah. to another Mark Hunt knockout. I'm just saying, don't fight Mark Hunt. Mm-mm. Aging... Other athletes turned fighters out here trying to have your exhibition boxing match career where you're fighting on, you know, whatever pay-per-views against mix-and-match opponents. Don't fight Mark Hunt. Fight somebody else. Find somebody on YouTube that you can fight. Don't fight Mark Hunt. Sonny Bill, that's just, that's a recipe for getting knocked out, man. Don't fight Mark Hunt. I've got a tattooed on the inside of my wrist so I don't forget.
0: Yeah says, don't fight Mark Hunt. I thought that was a strange choice when you first made it, but now it makes sense. Yeah, just saying. Just saying. The bungalows are the last thing to go.
1: They do. You keep the bungalows almost probably with Mark Hunt's case till your dying day. Mark Hunt be out here 105 years old, still got the bungalows.
0: Somebody is going to lean over Mark Hunt's deathbed, say the wrong <laughs> thing. He's going to reach up with the final bungalow.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a reverse coffin flop scenario. <laughs> Somebody is going to lean too far over Mark Hunt's open casket
0: and get knocked out. Yep. That's the way he'd want it. Well, Chad, this week I'm just saying I know we discussed it a little bit on Friday's power hour, but I can't let it go. I can't stop thinking about it. It it haunts my dreams.
1: Is this is this Conor McGregor's mom's Halloween costume?
0: No, Chad. Oh, okay. Something else. It's Paulo Costas camouflage couch. <laughs>
1: How did I know that would be the thing that really stuck with you from Friday? I just,
0: it's such an interesting choice to make, home decor-wise, because you invite some people over, maybe they're USADA test collectors, maybe just the neighbors coming over to, to greet you with a muffin basket, and you they glim, glimpse over your shoulder the camouflage couch and matching ottoman, maybe invite them in, they sit down. Do you mention it? Do you wait for them to ask? Because it's it's sitting right there. It's basically like the only piece of furniture visible in the room from what yeah. we could see in those photos.
1: It's like classic MMA fighter home decor where all you got is a couch and a giant TV and there's nothing else in the whole house.
0: And I didn't even know they made camouflage couches.
1: <laughs> they probably don't.
0: That's probably custom. To, I mean... People come over and you got to just be like, so, have a seat anywhere on the camouflage couch. And you know they want to ask about it. They want to be like, bro, what the fuck? What are you thinking? What happened here? Is this... When the camouflage couch showed up at your house, did you go, yes, everything has gone according to plan? Where <laughs> you're like, I need to call the warehouse immediately. There's been a terrible mistake.
1: Yeah, like, I people... actually ordered a... Uh... A midnight brown herringbone sectional here with the stain proof uh,
0: material, not this camouflage couch. I guess I'm just saying that's a choice. That's an interesting choice that Paulo Costa has made. And you know what? It's a conversation piece. I'll say that. You're not going to go over to Paulo Costa's house. You come home from Paulo Costa's house, Chad, your wife asks you how it went. You're, just, you're not going to be like, oh, it was completely unmemorable. No. You know what you're going to be like? You're going to be like, so Paulo has a giant camouflage couch and magic. Yeah, Paulo is going to
1: serve you shots of the secret juice on the camouflage couch, slapping five. Everyone's having the time
0: of their lives. You know that's what? And if I you spill a little bit of the secret juice, it doesn't matter. It'll blend right into the <laughs> camouflage couch. Don't even worry right. about it, bro. Yeah.
1: Now, see, I would say if you're going over to Paulo Costa's house, you are probably deep enough into Paulo world that you see the camouflage couch and you think, yeah, that tracks. That yep. makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the kind of couch Paulo would have.
1: Camo camouflage yep. and not even like the new digital camo like some old school yeah uh forest green camo gi like.
0: joe ass cam camo cou- <laughs> that's, right. that's what, what it is
1: yeah gi joe ass couch all right that's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast we would normally have after hours coming up right now but ben folks has got to get out of here uh a weather related emergency yeah. i understand that maybe we'll talk about When we're among friends over uh, behind the Patreon paywall this week. So if you want to find out why Ben Foles has got to duck out, we can't do after hours. Maybe go over there and uh, join the Patreon page, patreon.com slash co-main event. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. For those of you who are in the Patreon, we'll talk to you this week. For everybody else, we'll see you next week on The Proper. For right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. I feel like that's a good tease now. Everyone's going to want to know. Why is you gotta run off?